We are going to get right into the series. We're starting a brand new series. It's going to run January through February called Defending the Faith. So this is part one. We encourage you to bring your Bibles. We encourage you to bring paper, pens, take notes. This is going to vitally help you. So let's turn to 1 Peter 3.15. 1 Peter 3.15. I'm reading for the New King James Version. And it says this, but sanctify the Lord in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Now notice what the Bible is saying here. It says that you need to always be ready to give a defense to anyone that asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. So if somebody were to come up to you and say, why are you a Christian? Can you answer that question? There's a lot of questions that people have that keep them from coming into the faith. People are like, well, if Adam and Eve were the only people on the earth, where did the kids come from? All right, or how did their kids, who did their kids marry? People have all these questions, and they say, you know what, you guys don't know what you're talking about, so I'm not going to listen to you. What we're going to do is go through what is called apologetics. And the word apologetics means to give a defense for what one believes to be true. To give a defense for what one believes to be true. Now, what is a defense? Let me give you a definition for that. A reasoned statement or argument. A reasoned statement or argument. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to ask how many of you have ever been to court before because you probably don't want to raise your hand. But if you go to court, what do you want? You want a good defense attorney, someone that is going to stand up for your rights. He knows the right answers to not only talk to the judge, but to the prosecutor. In the same way, when we look at this defense, always be ready to give a defense, it refers to a legal inquiry. So again, uh, the question is, why are you a Christian? A believer is responsible to give an adequate answer to that question. If you don't know why you're a Christian, then somebody can come along and talk you out of it. Well, because my mama told me I'm a Christian, that's why. That's not going to cut it. We need to know why the Bible says what it says. Now, the objective of apologetics is not to convince a man unwillingly or contrary to his will to become a Christian. We're not trying to slip something in there and fake someone out. But the point is to help clear away obstacles to faith that many people bring up and to show that faith in Christ is reasonable. Because a lot of people think, oh, only stupid people become Christians. All right, they just don't have a mind. They can't think for themselves. They just want some easy way out. No, there are actually logical reasons why to believe that the Bible is true. Now, I'm going to say something, and it might shock some of you, but God actually created you with a brain. 
All right? Between these two ears, there is a brain. And the point of that brain is to give you the ability to think, to acquire knowledge, and to discern truth. So since he gave you that brain, he expects you to use it. An intelligent Christian ought to be able to point out flaws in a non-Christian position and present facts and arguments to back up the truth of the gospel. So we are going to go through all different types of facts. How do we know that this book is really written by God? Are there facts? How do we know that Jesus really rose from the dead? Are there facts to base that on other than just, well, the Bible says so? Because a non-Christian, that doesn't hold water with them. Now, Jesus Christ is either the answer for all people at all times and in all places, or he is the answer for no one at no time and in no place. So we either believe everything he says, everything he did, everything he came to do, or we have to completely throw out everything we've learned about him. B.C. Johnson in the Atheist Debater Handbook throws down this challenge. If God exists, there will be evidence of this. Signs will emerge which point to such a conclusion. So in this series, we want to provide you with the evidence and the signs to give a defense for what you believe. How many of you think that's a good thing? Amen? So with that, what I want to talk about tonight is the uniqueness of the Bible. The uniqueness of the Bible. What makes the Bible different from the world's greatest literary works? And there's a lot out there. Tolstoy's War and Peace. I know this is a list you've all read before. Homer's Iliad and the Odyssey. Austin's Pride and Prejudice, Shakespeare's Homer, Steinbeck's The Grapes of Wrath. These are all revered as some of the greatest works of literature. So how does the Bible compare to these timeless treasures? Well, the Bible is unique. Let me give you a definition for unique so you understand what we're saying. The word unique means one and only single, different from all others, having no like or equal. I'm going to say that again. One and only, single, different from all others, having no like or equal. So when we look at it that way, when we look at that the Bible is unique compared to all these literary masterpieces, then the Bible actually belongs on a shelf by itself. Most people don't look at this book as unique. You go to people's homes, and they have the book, you know, shoved up with other books. Oh, how, how often do you pull that down? Oh, at Christmas. It's a nice display. Some people, oh, my table's crooked. They shove the Bible under there. Well, that works. No, we have to look at this as unique. Professor M. Montero Williams who is a former Bowdoin professor of Sanskrit, after spending 42 years studying Eastern books, 
with the Bible, he said this, there is a gulf between it, the Bible, and the so-called sacred books of the East, which severs the one from the others utterly, hopelessly, and forever. A veritable gulf that cannot be bridged over by any science of religious thought. This Bible is unique. It is different than any other book. So we're going to look at seven different ways tonight at how it's unique. Let's look at the fact that it is unique in its continuity. It is unique in its continuity. So I'm going to give you a bunch of facts right now about the Bible, which makes it unique. Number one, it was written over a 1,500-year span. That's a long period of time. Number two, it was written by more than 40 authors from every walk of life. 40 different people were involved in compiling this book, including kings, military leaders, peasants, philosophers, fishermen, tax collectors, poets, musicians, statesmen, scholars, and shepherds. So all different people from all different walks of life. Number three, it was written in different places. Moses in the wilderness, Jeremiah in a dungeon, Daniel on a hillside and in a palace, Paul inside prison walls, Luke while traveling, John while in exile on the island of Patmos. Next, it was written in different times. Written in different times. David in times of war and sacrifice. Solomon in times of peace and prosperity. Now just thinking about that for a moment, don't you think if you're in the midst of war that you're going to have a different slant, a different way of thinking than if everything's going great in your life? Next, it was written on three continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe written on three continents. Next, it was written in three languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, written in three languages. Next, it was written in a wide variety of literary styles, written in a wide variety of literary styles, including poetry, historical narrative, song, romance, didactic treatise, personal correspondence, memoirs, satire, biography, autobiography, law, prophecy, parable, and allegory. Again, all those come into play in this one book. The Bible addresses hundreds of controversial subjects. The Bible addresses hundreds of controversial subjects, subjects that would create opposing opinions if we even took 10 of you in this room. You may have different opinions on these subjects. For example, marriage, divorce, remarriage, homosexuality, adultery, obedience to authority, truth-telling, lying, character development, parenting, the nature and revelation of God. Yet, from Genesis through Revelation, these writers address them 
with an amazing degree of harmony. Think about that. Over 40 different authors, over a 1,500-year period of time, tackling all these topics, and there is a single harmony throughout this book. Next, in spite of its diversity, the Bible presents a single unfolding story, God's redemption of human beings. Again, in spite of its diversity, the Bible presents a single unfolding story, God's redemption of human beings. That we have this one topic, I was actually tempted to do this, to take 10 of you, give you a piece of paper, and have you randomly write whatever you want for five minutes, and I bet if we collected them, not two would be the same. Yet somehow, over this 1,500-year period of time, by 40 different authors, we have a single central theme in this book. The Bible is unique. And finally, and most important, among all the people described in the Bible, the leading character throughout is the one true living God made known through Jesus Christ. The main character spoken about. I mean, we see Jesus being referred to all the way back at the beginning of Genesis. The law provides the foundation for Christ. The historical books show the preparation for Christ. The poetic books aspire to Christ. The prophecies display an expectation of Christ. The gospels record the manifestation of Christ. The epistles give us the interpretation of Christ. And revelation shows the consummation of all things in Christ. So throughout this whole book, by people that didn't even know each other, we see this central message. Let's look at another way the Bible is unique. It is unique in its circulation. Now, it is not normal for books on a bestseller list to sell a few hundred thousand copies. It is rarer to sell more than a million copies and rarer even still to sell the 10 million mark. Now, I just brought this up today before the service. The top 10 most read books in the world. So I'm just going to start with four and go up. Number four, Lord of the Rings, 103 million copies sold. Harry Potter, 400 million. So we see a big jump. Quotations from the works of Mao Zedong. This is the second most read book in the Bible, 820 million. So 820 million, and then we go to the Bible, 3.9 billion. It doesn't even hold a candle. No other book even comes close to the total circulation of this one book showing it being unique. Next, it is unique in its translation. It is unique in its translation. Most books are never translated beyond one language. So if you were to write a book, it would probably be in English, and only people in English would be able to read it. 
Then there are some who are translated in maybe two to three languages at most. The Bible, or portions of it, have been translated into more than 2,200 languages. That's incredible. No other book has been translated, retranslated, and paraphrased more than the Bible. Next, it is unique in its survival. I'm sure you're aware that people have tried to destroy the Bible throughout time. Combined with other ancient writings, the Bible has more manuscript evidence to support it than any ten pieces of classical literature combined. The Jews preserved it like no other manuscript has been preserved. They had special classes of men within their culture whose sole duty was to preserve and transmit these documents with perfect fidelity. Imagine that's your job. Because remember, before there was a printing press, you had to manually write this over and over and over. And they were very specific, and there are records to show that what we have today is no different than what existed. They, when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, they actually discovered that it was verbatim in translation to what we have today. The Bible has withstood vicious attacks. Many have tried to burn it, ban it, and outlaw it. French infidel Voltaire, who died in 1778, so keep that in mind, he died in 1778, declared that 100 years from his time, Christianity would be swept from existence and passed into history. Obviously, we're still here. Now, the funny thing about that is 50 years after his death, the Geneva Bible Society used Voltaire's press and house to produce stacks of Bibles. Nelson Gleck, one of the three greatest archaeologists, said this, In all my archaeological investigation, I have never found one artifact of antiquity that contradicts any statement in the Word of God. People are always like, well, science disproves the Bible. No, it doesn't. It actually confirms the Bible. The Bible is also unique in its teachings. It is unique in its teachings. Norman Geisler and William Nix said, other books claim divine inspiration, such as the Koran, the Book of Mormon, and parts of the Hindu Veda. But none of these books contain predictive prophecy. There are no prophecies of the coming of Muhammad uttered hundreds of years before his birth. Neither can the founders of any cult in this country rightly identify any ancient text specifically foretelling their appearance. However, there are hundreds of predictions, some of them given years in advance in the Bible that have been literally fulfilled. 
The time, city, and nature of Christ's birth were foretold in the Old Testament, along with dozens of things about his life, death, and resurrection. 1 Samuel through 2 Chronicles presents approximately five centuries of history of Israel. The Old Testament embodies the oldest writings that we have of history. No other nation contains even a fraction of history compared to the biblical account of Israel. And you can look and prove in the Bible that these things actually took place. Lewis Chaffer, founder and former member of Dallas Theological Seminary, said, The Bible is not such a book that a man would write if he could or could write if he would. Well, why does he say that? Because the Bible deals very frankly with the sins of its characters. Most people would not want to expose their own miscomings, their own sins. But the Bible deals with that. We have the sins of the patriarchs, the sins of the people, King David's adultery with Bathsheba. The gospel evangelists reveal their own faults and those of the apostles. And then the Bible uh, reveals the disorder within the church. The Bible as a book focuses on reality, not fantasy. It presents the good and the bad, the right and the wrong, the best and the worst, the hope and despair, and the joy and the pain of life. Next, it is unique in its influence on literature. It is unique on its influence on literature. Gabriel Savan said, no other documents in the possession of mankind offer so much to the reader. Ethical and religious instruction, superb poetry, a social program and a legal code, an interpretation of history, and all the joys, sorrows, and hopes which well up in men and which Israel's prophets and leaders expressed with matchless force and passion. Ellie Weasel, renowned novelist and Nobel Peace recipient, said this, The Bible is also a source of inspiration. Its impact has no equal, whether on social and ethical planes or on that of literary creation. And in the classic Anatomy of Criticism, world-renowned literary critic Northrop Frye observed that Western literature has been influenced by the Bible more than any other book. Next, it is unique on its influence on civilization. Grady Davis in the New Encyclopedia Britannica writes, the Bible brought its view of God, the universe, and mankind into all the leading Western languages and thus into the intellectual processes of Western man. And Kenneth Woodward pointed out in Newsweek in 1999 that after 2,000 years, 
The centuries themselves are measured from the birth of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. At the end of the year, calendars in India and China, like those in Europe, America, and the Middle East, will register the dawn of the third millennium. So we use Jesus' birth to mark where we are in history. All the evidence that I presented tonight does not prove that the Bible is the Word of God. We will talk about that later. But what it does clearly indicate that it is unique and superior to any other book that's out there. Theodore Roosevelt said, a thorough knowledge of the Bible is worth more than a college education. So when we look at this book, we need to revere it. We need to respect it. Yes, it is paper and ink to be printed, but it is the Word of God given to us as instruction for how we are to live our lives. We're going to look at all different kinds of topics on how do we know whether this is the Word of God and various other things. We will continue our study defending the faith on Wednesday nights throughout the months of January and February. Our prayer is that you will be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Amen.